everybody. I feel I've never sat on a bar stool in church before. This is uh, so two Bristolians walk into a bar. Um, so yeah, hi, my name's Paul, um, and, and this is Kelvin, and we're going to um, hear this morning um, some of Kelvin's amazing story. I was privileged to go around, had a cup of tea. Uh, at Kelvin's house on, I don't know what day it was, Monday or Tuesday night, I can't remember, Monday was it? Yeah, went round and just amazing just to, uh, to talk to Kelvin and, and just hear his story about how God's had his hand on his life right, right from a very young age really as we're going to discover together now. Um, so Kelvin, I mean first of all, just, just tell us a little bit about you, tell us about your background, where you're from and, and a little bit about you growing up. So I'm originally from Yeovil in Somerset, so um I come from a, a non-Christian family, so no one in my family um, were Christian. My nan sort of was involved with the Salvation Army, but sort of wasn't a Christian herself, just really a helper. Um, quite, a troubled, quite a troubled home life. Um, it was more sort of mental abuse uh, um, rather than sort of physical abuse. But as, as it sort of went on, me and my stepfather started to really fall out and it became quite sort of physical and, and you know, and my mum was sort of caught in the middle. Uh, but when I was younger, my mum sent me to Sunday school, so started to go to Sunday school. And I think I was described as rambunctious, which is a little bit mischievous and a, and a little bit naughty, I think, as most sort of children are at that age. Um, but my mum sort of wanted me to, to go to Sunday school. I don't know if that was, you know, looking back, I think that was God putting her in a position to put me into Sunday school, to take me out of that sort of troubled part of home life. And, yeah, I really enjoyed Sunday school. We would sit and, and sort of talk through the gospel and play games and lots of orange squash and biscuits, which were always good. Um, and then as I was growing a bit older, um, into my sort of early sort of teens, um, started to get involved with youth groups uh, and started to have Christian friends round about my own age. Um, but then as I sort of got to 14, 15, I started to become really sort of troubled and disillusioned with everything. And I just started to mix with the wrong people and the wrong crowd and started to get in trouble with the police, um, started to sort of bunk off school and got mixed in with alcohol and, and drugs and it's, you know, and it started to really go down a dark path. And my mum could see that and visibly see that change in me and I started to reject her and, you know, and I was really harmful to my family and, you know, and hurtful and angry and, and just lost. I was just, you know, I was just, I felt broken and alone and didn't feel that anyone could actually really understand me. And they didn't know, I didn't know who I was, but I thought other people didn't know who I was either, which was just really confusing. And I just sort of lashed out really and, and just felt that I had no one that I could turn to. And I remember you said on Monday, like you always felt that you're a bit different and just like had that unsettled feeling like all the time. I just felt, I don't know, I think, I almost felt like I didn't belong anywhere, I didn't fit anywhere, I was almost like a, 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 like a square peg in a round hole, it was always a bit, I always felt a bit weird and uncomfortable, no matter where I was, 
or who I was with. Okay. And then you found somewhere where you really fitted in. So, so tell us, you know, what happened? How did you find yourself? You found yourself in the British Army in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so my mum could see where I was going and under the guise of sort of going to Taunton for a bit of afternoon tea and we sort of walked past, subtly walked past an army recruitment centre and almost as if my mum's shoulder dropped and sort of barraged me through the door. <laughs> um, I was in, sat down, signing up and getting ready for my tests to join the British Army. Um, yeah, so that was, that was that part. Went for my tests, went up to Sutton Coalfield and did sort of a basic fitness test where they test you for your basic fitness and where they're going to put your, place you within the army. Um, and then I joined the Royal Artillery, so 2-7 Field Regiment. And we first started off in Thirsk in North Yorkshire. Um, so just to describe the army in a way, it's a bit, it's a bit like university, but with guns. <laughs> so, so just full of full of people that just you know all similar characters to myself so all sort of rambunctious and sort of strong personalities and so you have to fight in that sort of room to be heard um, but again you know in that sort of environment I felt very much alone and very much I don't know out of sorts and not quite right and didn't fit and you know and so um we generally would just go out a lot of the time we'd go out drinking and, and partying and that sort of seemed to be part of the culture and you would just go along with that culture really and is that how those guys that's how you, they sort of deal with the, the stress of it and the that's, that's how you dealt with it anyway i think a lot of people in the forces deal with it that way they all have their sort of way of dealing with with pressure and stress and because in your basic training, what they tend to do is they tend to break you down and then build you up get to get you ready to serve as a soldier. And I think that's the same in all areas of the services. Um, and I think that's why sometimes when you come out of the services, people find it really hard to adjust because they're so conditioned to their military service and the way that they live that they find it really hard to adjust to civilian life. Okay, and then... There was a war, and you had to go and fight on the front line. So this was kind of the first war, I remember, that was on telly that we all sort of watched. This is sort of happening again now, but tell us a little bit about that and what it was like to go and serve on the front line. So this was, this was the Gulf War, so this was the, the first Gulf War um, in 1991. Um, so we, were, we came up to New Year's Eve, and then we were, we were told that we were going to deploy... So we were there basically from January, well, we got there January the 1st, so New Year's Day, and then we left in April. So we basically did sort of three, four months um, in Iraq. So our point was we were going from northern Iraq right the way through. We were going to go into Baghdad and take on the Republican Guard Force. That was our mission. Um, I was part of um, an artillery gun crew, which we were in M109s. Um, which is like a tracked, like a track tank. But I spoke to a tankie a while ago, and he was really upset that I called it a tank because it's <laughs> mobile artillery. It's not a tank. <laughs> I wouldn't argue with him. <laughs> <laughs> not if he's got a tank. Um, and and 
so you served there for, for a few months, four, four months or so, and you saw some pretty horrific things, and um, then you arrived back in the UK. And just tell us then, you know, the journey then, what happened then? I think when we, when we came back, so it was sort of parts, parts of the conflict where you were really, because when we first sort of went, you were conditioned and trained and to what to expect and to what to, what to possibly see. And, and there were lots of parts of it that you did see and there were lots of parts that you didn't see. And when you came back, I think there was almost like this massive emptiness and you felt, I don't know, there was part of me that felt guilty. There was part of me that felt not ashamed of my service because I was proud to serve and I was proud to serve and to protect and to, but I don't know, I just felt, I felt like there was a big part of me sort of missing uh, and I didn't know how to react to that. And I, you know, I didn't, and there was a few of us that were very similar. So in the end, that was it. We just went out and, you know, alcohol and, and sort of violence and things like that sort of tend to consume. It was, it was one of those things we tried to fill. And the more you'd fill, try and fill that gap, the bigger that gap got and the more emptier you felt. Mm. And, and, and then you decided to leave the army then at that point. So this went on for a little while and then you just thought, that's enough, I've got to get out. Yeah. But that kind of wasn't the end of the, the downward spiral a little bit, was it? So things sort of carried on. Tell us what happened then after you left so the army. <laughs> when I came out, um, I ended up sort of more sort of drifting because um, I spoke to my mum and my mum was quite upset that I'd left the army and didn't really want me to come back home. So I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so I ended up drifting and sort of sofa surfing and going around to friends' houses and I'd have the occasional job here and the occasional job there. But nothing, I couldn't hold anything down. I, I had no stability or direction in my life. Um, and so eventually I just started to, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't budget, I couldn't save money. I, you know, I was drinking, I was taking drugs. I was in a really difficult place and a dark place. And I did, didn't know where to go or what to do. Um, and in the end, um, I just ended up um, in Nottingham. And I ended up on the streets and just, I was staying in a, in a place in Nottingham, um, but couldn't keep up with the rent and couldn't, you know, just couldn't survive. And just ended up on the streets. Um, yeah, and that was... It's okay, a really so difficult time. And just give us an insight. So, so you ended up living on the streets in Nottingham. Just what, I mean, what was that like? What was that like for you? How did you survive day to day? And, and what, what does it feel like to be a homeless person living on the streets? You basically, if I can put it in terms that sort of some people might understand, it's almost like putting on an invisible cloak where you just become invisible to people. People don't notice you, people don't see you, people walk past you in the street. Um, and you feel that people don't care. And I think, especially during that time, that was okay for me. I, I wanted to be invisible. I wanted people not to notice me because I was ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of the things that I'd done and the people that I'd hurt. Um, yeah, I was just, 
I was broken and I didn't feel that I was worth anything to anyone and didn't really want people to see that worth in me because all that would do is it would bring that shame and, and that attention to me that I just didn't really want at that particular time. And, and what about practicalities like in terms of, you know, you said something interesting because you've been in the army about, you know, sleeping rough and, and also about food and stuff. Like what, what, how did you literally survive? So, the, I mean, the living rough and things like that, because again, when you're in the army, you sort of learn to, to adapt to your condition. So you sleep, that, that part of it was okay. because so I'd sleep in toilets or I'd find a place in a snooker hall or find somewhere warm or I could just go and sit in a bush or get a tent or a sleeping bag and just go and sleep in a park or something like that. So that, for me, that wasn't too bad. Um, but then it was, because I couldn't, because I was so proud and felt so proud and I couldn't beg. I couldn't sort of sit down and put my hand out. So I'd end up going to sit outside Greg's and things like that and ask for the food. When they were chucking food out, I'd ask for the food and to, you know, and hopefully they would give me something. But some nights you just, you wouldn't eat. Um, and you'd get to a stage of sort of wanting to steal and, you know, it was, yeah, it was just to that point where, and then you're in that sort of quandary, you know, of what do I do? Where do I go? You know. Okay. Now, you're sitting here now, so we know that's not the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> but just, just tell us what happened. There was a moment on a park bench in Nottingham that we spoke about on Monday night. Tell us about that moment. So, usually when you're homeless, what you tend to do is you tend to wander a lot. So, I tend to walk and walk and walk. And then every now and again, you sort of sit down. And I was just in, a, in the centre of Nottingham, just on a park bench. Um, and a guy came over, just completely out of nowhere. Didn't know him. Sat down next to me. And he said, how are you? How are you doing? And we chatted for a bit. And he said, um, you do realise that there's um, a Christian or there's an organisation called the YMCA. When I've heard that they've got rooms available. Um, so why don't you get yourself along um, and go and see if they've got any rooms? Um, might be able to help yourself, you know, help yourself get off the streets. And then, as, you know, as soon as we chatted, up and gone, and I've never seen that chap again, you know. That's amazing. And I know you said on Monday, you sort of half hope he's, he catches this online at some point and I sees hope, it. I really do. I hope, I hope you see this, mm. and I hope you realise um, what you've done. So that, that was the start of the journey back, I guess, for you. So you went to the YMCA, you took this guy's advice, and then stuff started happening, or you made stuff start happening. So Tell yeah, so I just started, we just, there was, um, so below the YMCA was a job centre, so I started to apply for lots and lots of jobs. I sent out hundreds and hundreds of CVs, um, looking for jobs, well, anything really. Um, and then quite fortunate after a little while to, to get a job um, working in Oxfordshire, working for a, um, a hotel in Oxfordshire. So, and that was working behind the bar initially. So I went and started to work behind the bar. Um, yeah, and just started to get my life back on track. Okay, and then eventually through a set of circumstances, you, you, through jobs in different situations, you, you ended up in Bristol. Um, and then there was another significant conversation then with someone that you've met. 
So yeah, so I met um, Mark Hodges. Um, I started to work for Direct Line. Um, me and Mark had known each other for a while. We'd been working in a charity organization within work, um, and we got to know each other. And then we just sort of sat down um, one lunchtime, and Mark sort of said, you know, what, do, you, um, do you have any faith, or you know, what do you think about um, faith? And, and we just started to have a conversation, and I sort of said to Mark that, you know, I'd believed in God, but walked away from God and, and had turned my back on God. And then just Mark um, just seized the opportunity, really, and sort of said, well, do you want to get together? Do you want to talk some more? And, you know, I sort of said, initially, I put my barriers up and sort of said, well, I don't think we'll, we'll talk about it right now. I think I'll go, let me go home and think about it. So I went home and, and just sort of looked inwards and started to think about it a bit more and just wanted to discover a bit more and just wanted to talk about it and, and see, you know, really to sort of see that at that specific time, if I wanted God back in my life, it, I felt as if it was my choice, you know. Okay. And then what did you discover? And, and what did you decide if you wanted God back in your life is, is, is one way of looking at it? Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, looking, I could see that all the way through, all the way through my life, God has been part of my life all the way through. All these, all these points, all these hardships and all these points where I thought that there wasn't any hope. God shone his light in those points. And, you know, and it's, it's sort of looking back, I discovered more about him and how he's affected my life and how he's changed my life, even without me knowing and without me discovering. And how did he change your life? Like, how did you sort that out with God? Like, what, what happened? So it's more sort of, I think it was realising that I was broken, that I couldn't do all these things on my own. Everything I was trying to do, everything I was trying to overcome, I was trying to do it by myself. I was trying to, you know, I was trying to fix myself. And I just realised that I couldn't do it. I couldn't fix myself. The only thing that, you know, the only thing that could fix me was God. That's the only thing that could fix me. Okay. And how did God fix you? Um, so Neil was preaching. I was sort of, I was sat in the church. And a bit like Jackie last week, as he was preaching, he was preaching about sin and um, about our slavery to sin. And I just realised that he was talking directly to me and there was no one else in the room. And I just knew right there and then that I was controlled by my sin. I was controlled by my guilt and my shame. And to know that someone has taken that upon themselves for me... For me to be saved, that I had to, I had to have a relationship with him. That oh. I had to, you know, that I had to. So I went home and I, I repented and I, you know, I spoke to God and I just, I just wanted to be free of all these things. I just wanted to sort of take all these things and just hand them to Him. Okay. And so when you said someone else has taken, the, the, taken that on themselves, you mean Jesus, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So Jesus took the punishment for the things that, that we've done wrong, which we'll talk about in a bit as well. And 
tell me about now. Like, how, how does it feel now? Because this is quite a big, someone who wanted to be invisible in Nottingham, you know, is now confident and sitting, or reasonably confident, <laughs> as confident as either of us are, sitting on a stage and, and telling people about the Lord Jesus. Like, how, what's the difference that this has made in your life? It's, it's really freeing. It's waking up, in that, waking up in the morning. I mean, looking all the way back, I always woke up in the morning and felt either trapped in my situation or hopeless or, you know, angry or guilty or, you know, ashamed. And now I wake up in the morning and I feel free. I feel God has saved me in so many different ways. And has shown me so much love that he's adopted me into a family that will never leave, that will never, you know, that I have an eternal family and that's forever. And that won't change. Nothing I can do will separate me from that. And nothing anyone else can do will separate me from that. That's great. So you find, you find a real peace and a real purpose and a real place as well. You sent this morning in your reading, it was about being you know, adopted into a family, which is where you are here now, part of God's family. But it's also seeing that, you know, my story has unfolded and, and it's, um, it keeps unfolding, but now it's that excitement of what God's going to bring on the next part and the next part and the next part. Yeah. And it's that point where, you know, that I have that guaranteed. Kelvin, it's an amazing story. And... And in one way, it's a surprising story that, wow, that's amazing what God's done. In another way, that's what God does. <laughs> and, and it's not surprising at all. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and that's what the Lord Jesus does to each of us, and, and it's a special, a special thing. Kelvin, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us today. It's Kelvin's birthday today. I think we should, we should give him a round of applause. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, brother. <clears throat> and I know you've, you've chosen a song that we're going to sing now, so I don't know if you want to say anything about the song or whether we just sing it. And uh... I just, um, it's just realising that God's mercy is more, that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've done in our lives, um, no matter how much guilt, how much shame, how much sin, God's mercy is even more than that, that his love is more and more and more. Um, so don't ever be shackled by your guilt or your shame or your sin. Just hand that to God. Just give that to God. And, you know, he will bless you every single day of your life. Let's sing this song together. Thank you.